Joining me on this edition of the Locked On Sun Devils podcast is Locked On Pac-12 host Spencer McLaughlin to talk about the Pac-12 conference slate that Arizona State will face in 2022. Let's go ahead and get started for this edition of the Locked On Sun Devils podcast. Locked On Sun Devils, your daily podcast on the Arizona State Sun Devils. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome back to this edition of the Locked on Sun Devils podcast. My name is Richie Bradshaw. As always, I will be your guide for everything Arizona State Sun Devils. Thank you guys so much for making us your first listen of the day. Remember, this podcast is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, if you want to check us out in a visual platform. But of course, wherever you do get those podcasts, make sure you hit like and subscribe and turn on those notifications. Joining me today for this edition of the Locked on Sun Devils podcast is the Locked on Pac-12 podcast host, Spencer McLaughlin. Spencer's here to talk to us about everything we need to know about Arizona State's upcoming schedule against the Pac-12. Spencer, how are you doing today? Thanks so much for hopping on, brother. Hey, man. It's great to be with you. Doing great. Ready for football. And uh, I don't think I can express any emotion I'm feeling more than that. I'm just ready for some football, man. Put it on my television. Yes, absolutely. And as of this recording, we will have Arizona State football tonight. This is our Thursday episode. So we have... We have kickoff tonight against NAU. Very excited. Yeah, exactly. A little happy dance going on if you're on YouTube and can see us. So let's go ahead and just start with the obvious, Spencer, and that's Arizona State. What are kind of your overall thoughts on the program heading into 2022? I think it's the biggest question mark in the Pac-12 bar none. You know, I've done schedule predictions for every team in the conference on my show. And, you know, typically when, when I'm going through, I, I know I'm not going to get every team right, but a good way to frame schedule expectations, I think is to give a, a two game range, right? Say like they're a five to seven win team, because really the difference between being a five or a seven win team, the difference between eight or 10 could literally be two plays. Could literally, I mean, I, that's literally, and there's just an element of randomness to that, that expecting someone's, uh, you know, win total is going to be just right, right, spot on. I think if you're within two games, then you're at least uh, pretty darn close, certainly if you're within one. But that's, I, I bring that up to say Arizona State is the biggest question mark because the range is just massive with them. I could see them winning three games this year. Yeah. I could also see them winning eight games in the yep. regular season. I could realistically see both of those happening. There is no other team in the conference, not Utah, not Oregon, not not USC, not Washington. I don't feel that way about any other team where I could see it being way under 500 or actually being a solid year that might result in like a Sun Bowl berth. It's just, they're such a mystery to me. They are the biggest mystery in the Pac-12, which makes them such a fascinating watch in 2022. They lose a bunch of players, but they've brought a bunch of players in as well. A top 20 portal class in uh, the country, led, of course, by Emory Jones at quarterback. So I I just don't know really how to feel. I I have a record prediction in mind for them, but it is the one I, I feel perhaps the least confident about because there are just so many things that I don't know, including whether or not Herm is going to be there at the end of the season. Right. It's so funny that you bring up the Sun Bowl because Arizona State has been to that bowl game 
three times in the last 10 years to the point where it's an ongoing joke that it's actually the sun parentheses devil's bowl. <laughs> we just at this point we've totally claimed it as our own got, yeah it's your it's your claim to fame the sun yes. devil's bowl i we're gonna move I, at the 10p like and everything <laughs> yeah it doesn't have to be that way but unfortunately it has been that way <laughs> exactly <laughs> taking a look at our schedule you start off just against the stiffest competition in the pac-12 to get the year started uh the first three games you got utah uh, coming to Tempe, you got to go to uh, USC, and then you have Washington coming to Tempe. Looking at that Utah game, what's kind of your overall just initial thoughts on that one? Yeah, I only have Utah losing one Pac-12 game this year. And it's not and that one. It is not that <laughs> one. No. I I just think the Utes are are primed for uh, a breakout year, even more than what they showed in 2021, which, uh, as we all may remember started one and two yeah let's let's not forget that utah started one and two so when, when i say that they could have a breakout season i mean they're starting in the top 10 this year utah hasn't been there before right they started in the top 15 or, or 20 before but i can't remember the last time if ever they started in the top 10 maybe after their sugar bowl win in 2008 9 whatever year that was a while ago yeah, it, it's it's been a while. So the preseason hype for them, justifiably so, is very high because they bring back so much from what was, at the end of the year, a really, really good football team that went toe-to-toe with Ohio State that had started, you know, really firing on all cylinders there towards the end of the season themselves and en route to a Rose Bowl victory. What I see with Utah is just a lot of excitement that is, is backed up by, by roster depth, by a coach, quarterback, running back tandem with a tight end and Brant Keithy, who I trust. And I know that I can rely on them to be good, productive, well above average players in the Pac-12. Whether this game was in Salt Lake City or or Tempe, doesn't matter. I I think the Utes top to bottom are the class of the Pac-12 this year. uh, And I think they get the better of Arizona State. Yeah, this game could be played on the moon. And I would take Utah by 20. (laughs) It's just... Utah is completely in a class of their own in the Pac-12. Like, there's a ton of hype for USC. There should be, rightfully so. Oregon is still a great, great football program. They're not going away anytime soon. It just feels like Utah is just a, a, a league of their own. They just are so much far and away better, at least my perception of it. But yeah, they just, yeah, there's a reason they're starting off number seven in the nation. There's a reason you have people picking them to win the Pac-12 and potentially get the Pac-12 back into the college uh, college football playoff this year. Yeah, they're they're the most prime team to do it. And what do the Utes have that Oregon and USC do not have? Continuity. And right. for USC and Oregon, there's a lot of change. It doesn't mean that the Ducks and Trojans can't have good years. They can, and those are the three betting favorites to win the Pac-12 for a reason. But you can't undersell the importance of of continuity and things coming together. I mean, the number of times where a coach comes in and, you know, I think USC will be a fascinating test case for how quickly you can rebuild a, a top tier program via the transfer portal, because that's, you know, what they're what they're hoping to do. And basically the sole reason they're over under win total is, uh, I believe, nine and a half, a number I would not even sniff in Vegas. I wouldn't look at it. I wouldn't touch it. I wouldn't put my own money near it. Do not go near USC nine and a half. That's just 
that is begging to make you sweat all season long. But they can do that because of the talent they've brought in at, at skill positions. A couple defensive players, too, like Shane Lee, the linebacker from Bama. But primarily, it's Caleb Williams. It's Jordan Addison, Brendan Rice. They brought down a player from Washington uh, whose name is uh, eluding me right now is a wide receiver. And they I know bring exactly in, who you're talking about. Yeah, and I just his name just went right out of my head. And uh, they bring in Austin Jones and Travis Dye from Stanford and Oregon, respectively, two capable running backs in this conference who were extremely productive. So I, I look at USC and... Terrell Bynum. Terrell Bynum, that's the guy. And I, I look at USC and say, yeah, they, they have a lot of talent. They can be good. But tell me how, how often uh, a coach, even a great coach, comes in and writes the ship and it's firing on all cylinders and everything's flawless and perfect and there are no upsets in one year. The only, only instance I can think of is Jim Harbaugh at Michigan and they went 10-3, and three, which is a good year, but that's kind of what it feels like USC could be this year, right? Michigan was... 10-1, and one, they had that unfortunate call. It was a bad spot against uh, Ohio State, and they lost that game 10-2. Yep. and two. Then they lose the Orange Bowl to Florida State and, and fall to 10-3. and three. I could see USC doing that this year. I think they're 9-3 and three in the regular season because th- they've got a pretty, uh, or at least a fairly decent, tough, decently tough uh, schedule there. But, you know, I, I just look at, at Utah as having that continuity and not having to incorporate a new quarterback like USC is and like Oregon is with Bo Nix and not having as much turnover as everybody else. It's why I've got them at the top. Yeah, hundred percent. And you gave a nice detailed explanation for USC as well. So to make it nice and simple here, does Arizona state have a shot against USC or is USC considering the talent level and the coaching that's there? It shouldn't be a close game, but like you mentioned, and I'm on the same boat with you here is it feels like it's just so hard to go year one with a new program and, and all the new faces that are in USC and go directly to winning the conference. But nonetheless, that that's an incredibly talented roster. Does Arizona State have even a fighter's chance in this one? It'll depend on how Emory Jones and the offense can perform and how they can replace the losses from a season ago because USC's defense a year ago was putrid. I mean, they allowed 62 points to UCLA in their home building. I mean, that, and that team at that point had quit, to, to, to be fair to the guys that are there, and understandably so because they knew that their interim coach was not going to be their, their full-time coach and whatnot. But still, there's not a lot of talent on that defense. And we also remember, right, if, uh, if people think about, well, you know, Alex Grinch is coming over with Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma, so there's familiarity there. Y- yeah, there, there is. In what universe was Oklahoma known for their great defenses? Like, I don't think if if USC is going to get its defense back to being solid, and I think from a recruiting standpoint, he could build better defenses at USC than he was able to at Oklahoma because of sort of uh, the caliber of players that he could attract from the high school ranks and potentially in the transfer portal as well. But is it going to be ready in year one? No. And so the key for Arizona State to have a chance in this game, I don't think they get it done because I don't see the offense being as explosive potentially as USC, particularly in Los Angeles. But if they are going to have a chance, you're going to win in shootouts, right? USC, I expect them to score a lot of points this year. My question is, are they going to be able to stop anybody, right? Are they going to have to put up 35 plus points to win a football game? Or are they going to have 
a couple, you know, 24-20 or 20, you know, 7-17 wins out there because their defense steps up a, a little bit. I think it's the biggest question with the Trojans in 2022. Well, the good news for them is they got Eric Gentry stolen from Arizona State. He's a pretty good <laughs> linebacker, so yeah. maybe maybe that'll be the turning tide with the rest of that pretty dang solid defensive line. Moving to the next game before we hop into our first break, Washington is coming to Tempe. Washington coming off a pretty uncharacteristic 4-8 and eight season. This has been one of the more consistent teams in the Pac-12. Uh, they want to move on from the controversy that was uh, – Bobby Lake, Jimmy, Jimmy Lake, Jimmy, Jimmy Lake. Lake. Yes. Yeah. They, they want to move on from that controversy and everything that went down with the program last year that really kind of sunk the morale. But this is a much more talented roster than the four and eight record shows. But what do you think, Spencer? I think Jimmy Lake walks so that Will Smith could run. Yes. Um, <laughs> that just pops in my head anyway. So I, I think that I this it. is a game Arizona State actually gets it done and anybody who watches locked on pack 12 uh may know to the chagrin of husky fans i'm not that high on washington this year okay. i do think they will be better but i think their their win total is is going to be in the four to six range and i i've got them back at four which look maybe it's a low estimate because everyone uh continues to make a point to tell me that i'm way undervaluing them in 2022 but here's my concern with with washington and I would have them in a six-win team if you could assure me one thing, which nobody can, and that's Michael Penix's health. Right. I think Michael Penix is fine. He's, I think he's a serviceable college quarterback. He's not going to win you a bunch of games, but he can avoid losing you games. He's, he's, he won games at Indiana where it's damn near impossible to win football games. And I, I think that when you look at what he's capable of doing at the quarterback position, it, it's enough to, to get you a win here and there. He can make some accurate throws. But he doesn't have a huge arm. He's not particularly mobile. And he's been hurt each of the four years he's played college football. Which is, I, I, I don't know that I've seen that before. And it sucks. I, I feel for the guy. I, I do. But I can't look at Washington's schedule and say, here's how things are going to go. And with any team, you would look at it and say, well, this is what I think their schedule uh, is or how it's going to play out. Barring a major injury. Yeah, uh, of course. But when a guy has been hurt four times in four years, that's just not that's not something I can bank on. If you tell me he plays 12 regular season games, I'll put the Huskies at six and six. But quarterbacks coming in and out of the lineup, they've got Dylan Morris ahead of Sam Heward on the depth yep. chart. And look, maybe Dylan Morris just needs a better offensive coach. He's got that now with Kalen DeBoer because the bar was set so low uh, up in Seattle a year ago. But I, I, I'm not a big Dylan Morris fan generally, and I, I don't think that's, you know, a great answer at the backup quarterback position. And, uh, you know, frankly, if I were Washington, I'd just play Sam Heward, let him develop and recognize he's got to be your quarterback uh, of the future at some point. Uh, but the Huskies named Penix a starter, so they're going to try and win as much as they can. He gives you the best chance to do that. It's just a matter of whether or not he can stay on the field. Um, but even if he's on the field in this game, I, I like Arizona State. I don't think there's uh, a big talent gap between the, these two rosters. It probably favors Washington uh, a, a little, but I, I think Arizona State in the transfer portal has brought in some nice pieces, and if Emory Jones can be solid at quarterback, I think you could be looking at a game that's played in Tempe against the Huskies 
where Arizona State has the better quarterback. If you're at home and you have the better quarterback, how often do you lose a football game in the college or professional ranks? Uh, So I've got this one going by way uh, of the Sun Devils. Yeah, they're definitely going to be banking on Michael Penix to find a way to stay healthy because they're their quarterback play. I, I, I like Dylan Morris. I don't love Dylan Morris. I feel like he's definitely upgradable. Michael Penix is exciting, but as, as you mentioned, and like, it's just a tale as old as time is injured players stay injured. And unfortunately, it's really hard. Football's a football's a hard physical game. It's hard to stay healthy. I mean, there are players in baseball who have had careers just marred by injuries constantly. And that's a long, you know, less less grueling season. And it's a less grueling sport. It's just the way it goes. And, And for some guys, for whatever reason, they're more injury prone than others. And unfortunately, Penix is in that category. Unfortunately, yep, that that's exactly the case. They're going to be hoping for it to be otherwise, though. Quick little break for us before we get back into the next set of games. But first, a quick word from our friends at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports information this season. Find all the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including this year's opening week games. BetOnline is also your continued source for all your sports raging information including live betting, esports, and scores. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including Major League Baseball, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action happening right now. Bet online where the game starts. And as always, guys, thank you so much for making the Locked on Sun Levels your first listen of the day. Remember, this podcast is free and available on all platforms. Right back into our conversation, looking at the next set of games here. Got to go to Palo Alto to play Stanford. Got to go to Boulder to play Colorado. And then you have UCLA coming back to Tempe. Let's take a look at that Stanford that Stanford game. I feel like that's kind of a trap game for Arizona State. And I, I don't know. Like, I just, I refuse to doubt David Shaw, the head coach, to get the most out of his guys. And there's so many people that are hyping up Tanner McKee this year. But Arizona State made Tanner McKee look mortal and then some last year. They act they absolutely broke him from 11 touchdowns and zero interceptions to zero touchdowns and three interceptions in our game against him. What are your thoughts on the Stanford Cardinal team? Well, I, I have them being a mild bounce back team. I don't think they'll go eight, nine, or even 10 wins in, in 2022. But like ASU, I, I think they'll be right at 500. That's where I've got them. And I, I still feel good about that right now because the reason I, I can't see him staying down again is David Shaw's just won too many football games. And exactly. that, that's, that's really the sole reason why I look at Stanford and say, I think they're going to bounce back easier than Washington will in 2022. I think Kalen DeBoer can coach. He hasn't been a head coach for very long. The results have been good. He did well against the Pac-12 in 2021 at, at Fresno State. He did exceptionally well with a win and then a tight loss at Oregon, and he defeated UCLA. But David Shaw is someone who I know can win. And for me, he's got to be coaching with some urgency. Now, whether or not he actually is, different question. He should be coaching with some urgency because, in my view, David Shaw should be coaching for his job. And if you can't be at 500 or better at a program that is capable of being the class of the Pac-12, which they were for a five, six-year run, they then were. 
you've got to you've got to just demand better if you're Stanford. I don't know if they will because uh, of the culture that exists in Palo Alto and the fact that David Shaw is, by all accounts, a perfect human being and a representation of what Stanford University embodies. And I completely understand all of that. But just looking at it from a football perspective, you can't have three full seasons in a row under 500. I, I don't factor in 2020 and anything that really happened there. It was not a season. And by the, the, the thing I always say about that for people to say, well, you know, they were playing football. Stanford and Colorado were both over 500. They were four and two in 2020. Both yeah. were well under 500 in 2021. Coincidence? I think not. I just, I do not see that. Now, Arizona was bad both times, which tells you the state of what their program was at the time. But I, I just think that David Shaw, if you go three full seasons under 500 and not, you know, five and seven, knocking on the door of a bowl game, but, you know, four and eight, three and nine, you put up another three and nine or four and eight this year, five and seven could maybe be enough uh, to to make me feel better about him. But I think you got to be at least six wins this year for David Shaw. Or if I was a Stanford AD, I, I'd start the search for a new head coach. Yeah, unfortunately, it just it feels like his success is so far behind. But Stanford went to three Rose Bowl games in a four-year stretch and won two of them. Yeah, they they were <laughs> incredibly close to the college football playoff. They they were one of the best teams in the nation just before the playoff got started, and then Oregon finally got over the hump because Oregon could not beat Stanford for the longest time, and they finally were able to do it. They got into the playoff over Stanford, and. It just feels like right now David Shaw is kind of riding off of that past success. But yeah. I'll tell you what, if Herm and David Shaw get fired, David Shaw can just come straight down to Tempe, no questions <laughs> asked. I I would take him in a heartbeat. I, I feel like, you know, e even with the downward spiral that he's had recently, ASU could could, in theory, recruit a little bit better since our academic standards are a little lower and our... Uh, NIL is definitely a lot more improved than what Stanford has and people want to play for David Shaw, but bottom line. Yeah, this year, uh, I don't love Stanford. I don't hate Stanford kind of the way you feel. I feel like this game could be a trap game for Arizona state and I'm not willing to say it's a guaranteed win or a guaranteed loss for the team. No, I, I think it's one of the many coin flip games that you have in the PAC 12 in 2022, because I, uh, you have two teams that, you know, could have very different seasons depending on how things uh, play out, like in and of themselves, right? Arizona State could be well under 500. They could be over 500. Would it shock me if Stanford went eight and four? Not really. No. Would it surprise me? Yeah, a little. But would it shock me? No. And so I think Arizona State and my expectations for how I'm looking at all these Pac-12 teams going into 2022, Arizona State's got the biggest range. I'm not so sure Stanford doesn't have the second biggest range. Like I could, you know, Stanford, I could see him bottoming out winning two games this right. year. Like if the offense is as anemic as it was in 2021 and the defense is, is that dreadful. Yeah. They could only win a couple games like that. That's entirely possible. But if David Shaw is able to get them back to playing Stanford football and winning the Stanford way, which is power run, control the clock, and play physical defense, then then Stanford can be a team that, that nobody wants to play and, and that's dangerous. But I, I think that turnaround might take a, a year or two. Uh, and I'm I'm giving David Shaw the benefit of the doubt. That is, you know, I've kind of got all all of the my my chips in, in the in the table in that sense of 
you know, Stanford's roster, it's you know about the same. They do have David Bailey, highly touted freshman All-American coming in this year on the defensive side of the ball. Caillou Blue Kelly's a really good player on the Love back end him. of the defense. Love him. Um, you've got an NFL caliber quarterback in, in Tanner McKee. So there are some pieces there, but really just that that is secondary to me behind. I've seen David Shaw win a lot of football games, and I'm putting my faith in him this year. Can't blame you, man. Uh, looking at Colorado, this is a team, me and you very recently talked about them, actually, and on the Locked On Pac-12 podcast. So if you guys haven't checked that out, make sure that you definitely go over and take a look. Because we talked about Colorado, and I feel like Colorado is one of those teams, they're on, uh, excuse me, inevitably they're going to finish in the bottom of the Pac-12. It's just, yeah. they're they're not a great team. Something I had mentioned to you was I feel like this team somehow finds a way to just kind of grind out games and not necessarily get blown out all the time. A team like Arizona State should be able to go in and win by 20 to 30 points, but I just don't think they do. They have to go on the road to Boulder this year, and who knows? Like it, It's just like one of, one of the funny things that you had pointed out on Locked On Pac-12 is that teams at the beginning of the year – don't know who they are and they play <laughs> tougher yeah. than their competition would indicate at this point in the year, Colorado probably has an understanding of who they are, which probably isn't that great of a team. But what do you think? I've only got the buffs and this is partially schedule related because they have a brutal non-conference slate. I, yes, I have them do. going one. I have them going one and 11 this year. I think their ceiling as a team is three wins. I, I do not see them getting over three, and I don't think this ASU game could be one of them. I, I just think when you look at the roster top to bottom, uh, Arizona State has a better one than Colorado, who lost a lot of players to the transfer portal themselves. It wasn't quite yeah, the did. exodus that ASU had, but on the flip side of that coin, ASU brought in a couple you know, former four-star and a bunch of three-star guys in the portal to replace that which they lost. And Colorado brought in a couple guys who who could be impact players, but they lost a lot. And they're going to be young in the secondary. This is a game where Emory Jones has has got to be able to carry the load offensively because then Colorado will uh, maybe try and load the box there. Their front seven at Colorado is usually decent, never great, but I feel like it's never terrible either. And you, you can at times struggle to run the ball against them. Again, overall, are they the most talented? No, but... Do I trust their front seven more than their secondary? The answer to that is yes. So I think that's a game ASU can win as long as Emory Jones doesn't come in and, and just lay an absolute egg. It would be really cool to see Emory just light it up in the box score as, as a passer. Not, not only because I feel like a lot of people are going to doubt that ability this year, but just for the fun little aspect of you're in Colorado, the air is thinner, and you would just love to see that ball sail down the field to whoever is going to catch it, whether that's Elijah Badger or Andre Johnson as our deep threat this year. One more game I want to take a look at before we go into our final break here. Uh, after a two-game two uh, uh, road stretch, you have UCLA coming back to Arizona State. UCLA is just a weird team where it's like, I feel like they should be competing for the Pac-12, and they feel like that eight-win football team but it also feels like they're just such a step, maybe even two steps behind the other guys ahead of them. But Chip Kelly is still a very good college coach. And Dorian Thompson Robinson still feels like one of the better quarterbacks in in uh, in the Pac-12 right now. 
overall, the, the team feels pretty solid. Zach Charbonnet is a very good running back, and yes. I, I expect him to have a really nice year as well. Your thoughts? Chip Kelly is still a very good offensive football yes. coach. Yes, yes. Chip 100%. Kelly has <laughs> never been able to put together a consistent defense. And he's had a defensive coordinator the last couple of years in Jerry Azanero, who is a longtime friend of his and has been on a number of staffs, including uh, as he bounced around in the NFL as a head coach. And it kind of seemed like he was rewarding him there. He'd been a defensive line guy, got the bump to defensive coordinator. He was atrocious. And he was retained for two years longer than he should have been because the defense was not getting better. They weren't recruiting very well. And schematically, they were just bad. It was just every third down, you knew they were going to blitz the house and, you know, just play cover zero on the back end. And that was incredibly predictable. Uh, There were a number of things. It just wasn't a well-coached defense. Never has been. Look, I'm an Oregon guy, first and foremost, and I know Chip Kelly as well as anyone as a football coach. Here's something I bet most people didn't know out there. During his four-year run at Oregon, when they were running circles around everybody and no huddle and tempo and, you know, everything. Yeah, literally that, running. Yeah, literally running circles literally around running. everybody. I mean, D'Anthony <laughs> Thomas could literally, literally turn to Washington oh. State guy in a circle. It's the greatest highlight ever. The Black but Mamba. During that time, Chip Kelly had a defensive coordinator by the name of Nick Aliotti, who was tremendous. And he was handcuffed a little bit because the defense was always tired because Chip's offenses were scoring in, you know, one and a half to two minutes. And that's what they wanted to do. It's how they wanted to win games. It obviously worked very well. During the week, the reports from back in that particular era were that Chip Kelly never even went into a defensive meeting. He just handed the keys to Aliotti. They would hardly talk during the week in terms of a defensive game plan. And Chip was all offense. So for UCLA, the question, much like USC, is what do you have in your defensive coordinator? They just hired Bill McGovern from the NFL. If he's able to turn that defense around, have it be competent, UCLA can contend for a Pac-12 championship. I firmly believe that. But that's the if, because the most underrated component of that Chip Kelly run at Oregon that everyone always thinks about is Nick Aliotti. And if he isn't there there is a good chance that Oregon scored a bunch of points but did not win as many games because they weren't able to stop anyone. What you had in those particular games, and I'll wrap up this long-winded thought with this, what you had in those games where other teams would score early on the Oregon defense, but in the second halves of games, Nick Aliotti would hold them to three points or less with regularity. Seven points or less is probably a better barometer, but he would make adjustments like no other, and he would shut down in that second half, and Chip would go in, make offensive adjustments, and they'd go out and score, and they would pull away from teams in the third quarter in particular because the defense was on lockdown. He hasn't had that at UCLA. That's part of the reason his success has not been what some Bruins fans, I think, hoped it would be. And this is going to be a very telling year. If he's got a defensive coordinator who can hold opponents to, you know, 20 to 25 points a game, then the Bruins will be very good. But if that defense is still not where it needs to be to win at a championship level, then UCLA will probably have what will feel like a disappointing eight or nine win season. Yeah, how how sad. A disappointing eight or nine win season. <laughs> I can't remember. Well, their their schedule doesn't have a legit non conference opponent on it because Michigan bailed on them. Right. 
So they no. have three cupcakes to start the year, and their first conference game is at Colorado, who they should smoke. So yes. in theory, they should be 4-0 to start, and they should, have, they should have a lot of points on the board in that time. Yeah, they, they should definitely have no problem putting points up on the board with the weapons that they have on offense. Of course, it's definitely just going to be a question about whether that defense can stop a nosebleed or not. Let's yeah. go ahead, hop into one more break when we return. We got three more games to cover here on the Locked On Sun Devils podcast. Thanks again for making Locked On Sun Devils your first listen of the day. Make your second listen the ultimate pro football preview for 2022. An eight-game or eight-episode extravaganza to get you ready for the NFL season. The local team experts of the Locked On Podcast Network, plus a betting angle from Lee Sterling of Locked On Bets, all combining into one ultimate NFL preview. Search for Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022 on your Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Three more games, and then we'll get you out of here, Spencer. Thank you so much for your time. Looking at the final three games, you have to go to Pullman to play Washington State. You get Oregon State back in Tempe as your final home game right before going down south to Tucson to play the U of A Wildcats. Let's look at that trip to Pullman. Washington State just tore up Arizona State a year ago, and it was not fun. That was the only game I got to go to live, and I saw Jaden Delora just passing all over us. There was no defense whatsoever, and Jaden Daniels could not find an open receiver, but he had no problem finding Washington defensive backs. <laughs> this feels, um, this feels yeah. like, a, like an interesting team because Delora is gone, but how do you feel about them right now? that their ceiling could be even higher than what it was in 2021. And they were a good team. But Jaden Delora was a freshman of the year. Jaden Delora was winning football games at a program that is routinely under 500 and has emerged as a, as a program that can win games consistently. But it's still hard. You're not getting top-tier recruits up in Pullman. And you've, you don't have a long line of, you know, wildly successful coaches, even their most successful coach in the last decade or so, Mike Leach, he was under 500 for the first couple of years. It takes a while. And the question everyone needs to ask themselves about Washington State is, is this. If you had a quarterback who is winning games and you're going, you're trending up like that, why would you replace that quarterback? Right. The reason you would replace that quarterback is because you are very confident that that guy is better. And Cam Ward is coming from the FCS level where he put up, I, I, I hesitate to call them video game numbers because if you have the right settings in NCAA 14, it can be hard to put up numbers like the ones he put up in, in 2021. He had a 600-yard game. He threw for 47 touchdowns and 10 picks, just gaudy numbers. He's not going to replicate that at the Power 5 level, but I have heard some NFL buzz with regards to his prospects as a quarterback. If he showcases that sort of talent and makes that leap, this is a Washington State team that could be even better than last year. And if he is that sort of quarterback, my win prediction for them this year is seven. If he is that type of quarterback, they could easily, easily win nine. I don't think Arizona State goes up and gets this win in Pullman, even if Cam Ward is just okay. I think a just okay Cam Ward is probably about where Jaden Delora was a year ago, who I like as a quarterback uh, over at Arizona now. But at the very least, they're going to be, I think, as good as last year, and there is a very real potential they could be a nine-win team. I think they are the biggest sleeper just ahead of Oregon State to be a 10-win team in the Pac-12. 
I am incredibly intrigued by what Cameron Ward is going to be able to do. This is typically a team that historically just airs the you-know-what out of the football. They're they're going to be replacing a few guys, like Calvin Jackson's no longer with the team. And it'll be interesting to see how quickly these other guys are going to be able to pick up the pace with them. And that's not me doubting them at all. Like it, 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 It's just very interesting. It, it's going to be a very different offense than what we have been used to seeing. They're replacing their backfield, too. Uh, like it's just, there, there's a lot of change, but I feel like Wazoo fans should be excited for this team. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's one of the teams I'm most interested to watch because is there a, a pullback possibility where Ward is not able to regularly compete against FBS opponents at the power five level, which is a noticeable jump from what he was competing at in the Southland in 2021. And the biggest things for him he has to learn what he can no longer do, right? What windows can he no longer fit the ball into? Who can he no longer outrun? What arm angles can he not attempt to, to squeeze a ball into without making a turnover? Those are the things I'm going to be watching for very closely with him to see how, excuse me, he's acclimating to the Power 5 level. If he's able to do that, I think his talent is pretty darn immense. And again, I just go back to, you had a quarterback who was young, right? Delora's not a third-year uh, sophomore even or anything. No, he, he's been there for two. He's got three years of eligibility left. Jaden Delora looked like Washington State's quarterback of the future, right? Or at least as much as you can have that in uh, at college football. He looked like he'd be a five-year starter for the Cougs, and they decided to move on. And that is really telling uh, about how they feel in the building about Cam Ward. And we'll see how that all plays out. I think they're one of the most fascinating teams in 2022 in the Pac-12. Absolutely. And we'll talk more about Jaden Delora here in just a moment. Looking at the final game or final home game for Arizona State, Oregon State is coming back down. Oregon State always beats us when we go up and play them in Corvallis. I don't know what it is. It's death taxes and Arizona State losing in Corvallis. <laughs> Those are the three guarantees in life. Their team has really overachieved and they played great football last year with a creative offense and an op opportunistic defense and the freaking weapon that is Jack Coletto coming out of the backfield and playing on defense. He tore apart ASU last year as a, as a, as a runner that he would come in on fourth down and you're sitting there screaming at the TV. It's a draw with Jack Coletto. Nothing you could do yep. about it. It was just embarrassing. I mean, what are it's, your it's, thoughts? A, it's a numbers game. It's a numbers game with yes. Coletto. You got an extra blocker in there rather than the quarterback handing it off and just standing still not doing anything. And exactly. uh, if you don't like Jack Coletto as a football fan, then you're not a football fan. You're that not guy, a, exactly. What position is does he play? Football player. Next yes. question. <laughs> That's 100% it. Uh, give me your overall thoughts on the Beavers this year. Are they, are they going to be as good as they were last year? Because... Uh, I I don't see why they should take too many steps back. Chase Chase uh not Chase Chance Nolan's Chance. still at quarterback. Yeah, so he was pretty dang solid for him last year. I like the Beavs this year. I I, I do. I think five and a half on their win totals way too low. I'd take that over. I would take that over any day of the week. Frankly, um, I I think it's one of the surest bets in the conference, even with their non-conference schedule. Especially if they beat Boise this weekend. If they're able to beat if they're able to beat Boise State, they play Fresno State, or I think they play Montana State the following week, and then 
Fresno State or some mix in there. I might have that backwards, but anyway, their non-conference schedule is not that easy. A tough FCS opponent in Montana State that was in the national championship game, but they should be able to take care of business there. But they've got two Mountain West schools in Boise State and Fresno State. If they win those two games, I think they'll start getting votes for the top 25, and they will feel good about themselves. And I, I think they're going to lose one of them because those are solid programs. But I think it's a Beaver team that that's eight and four in the regular season. I, I really do. I, I like what Jonathan Smith is doing, and this feels like the culmination of everything he's been working towards over the last four seasons, now entering his fifth year in Corvallis. And he's got a quarterback who was solid a year ago, but can still improve. You know, the biggest question mark on this team, number one's the defense, right? Can Trent Bray, the new defensive coordinator, be an upgrade over Tim Tibisar and what they put on the field on that side of the ball a year ago, which was a disaster. They allowed a bunch of points to Colorado and Cal. Right. No, nobody allowed points to Colorado and Cal. If you allow points to Colorado or Cal, that's one thing. They allowed points and lost games to Colorado and, and Cal. But what you want to focus on with this Oregon State team is that they're the only Pac-12 school that beat Utah. They were the only one. And I don't think that was a fluke. I don't think it was by accident. If this defense can just be serviceable, right? Same question with USC and UCLA. Oregon State, I, I have the exact same view. Offense is there. If this can be a serviceable defense, then you have a good football team here. And I think the Beavs uh, go into Tempe and spoil senior night to to get it done and ultimately end up 8-4 and four in, in 2022. And I... I wouldn't be shocked if they won nine games. I wouldn't be shocked if they only won six. But I think their range is I, I think their range is six to eight and, and I think they're gonna hit the upper end of that. I would agree. I just it, it's so weird to see Oregon State actually playing good football. It just feels like we've become so accustomed to them just oh, scraping the so bottom bad. of the barrel. They were. They were they, so bad. Dude, that twenty seventeen Oregon that twenty seventeen Oregon State team is up there with the 2000, I think it was like 9-8 Washington team that went 0-12. Those two teams were equally as bad. Oregon yeah. State should have lost to Portland State in, in 2017. That should have been an 0-12 football team. Like, they were that bad. And that's all the credit to Jonathan Smith that he now has them coming into this year where I, I feel confident about them and they have just started winning football games straight up. And I, I that's a tough thing to do at any program and he's done a really good job. I think he's able to build on it this year and have an eight win regular season. And then talking about bad teams to end this, <laughs> of course, no place in the world. I would rather go down to and finish my season with a win going down to Tucson to take on the U of a Wildcats coming off a one and 11 season have lost the last five territorial cups to Arizona state, including a 70 to seven blowout from the 2020 season. U of A did get that quarterback we talked about earlier, Jaden Delora, Pac-12 freshman of the year. U of A has a very good recruiting class coming in. It, it feels like they should be able to turn it around with Jed Fish, but jury is out on whether or not he's going to be that be that head coach for them. It feels like they've kind of been searching for a while. What do you think? Three. The number three. I think Arizona gets to three wins this year. And that's a step in the right direction. That's three times this, what they had last year. This Arizona State <laughs> game is not going to be one of them. You can overcome. That's what I like to hear. 
you 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 can make upgrades and changes in a year. You can't overcome 70 to 7 in one year. In two years, yes. I expect this to be a more competitive game between Arizona and Arizona State. And Jaden Delore is a big part of that because that quarterback room in 2021, that was worse than the Pac-12. It was worse than what Colorado had in, in Brendan Lewis, who was a sub-60% completion guy. And, you didn't uh, like Will was, Plummer? Was in charge. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> no disrespect to that I was particular say, individual. But, <laughs> yeah, I, I hope we don't see that sort of quarterback play again in the Pac-12 because it was unwatchable, right? Him and Gunnar Cruz and... Was Tate Martell in there? Something I I don't even remember. Was at this Tate point. Martell with U of A? I don't even I don't remember. Don't quote me on that. That might be the wrong name, oh, but I wouldn't be surprised. They at this were when it's like where hasn't he been? They, they were throwing. I know nah, I think that's the wrong name, but anyway, their quarterback room was a mess. Now they have stability, and you can't undervalue that. But you also have to figure or factor in that that was a bad Arizona team. That was a yes. really bad Arizona team. They should be better this year, but they're not beat Arizona State after losing 70-7 to the year before better. Next year, yeah, depending on how this season goes, next year ASU could be in trouble. This year, they'll be fine. That's what I like to hear. Um, overall, final win-loss projections based six and off of six. what we went. Six, six, and six. and six overall and two and one in the non-conference. I pray they don't lose to Eastern Michigan. I Ugh. just – I. If they lose that game, Herm's got to go right there. Don't yeah. go to the don't go to the locker room. We'll clean out your office. That's got to go. I, I don't say, think it's going to happen. I, I'm I'm not predicting that upset. I'm just saying that if it happens, you got to show them the door right then and there. You got to have some standards as a program. You you can't lose to Eastern Michigan at home as Arizona State. Like coach has already been underachieving for the last few years. Hasn't had a 10 win season when Todd Graham, his predecessor, had two. You just you, you can't lose that game. That's the game. They won't lose to NAU. That's the game that Eastern Michigan won where Herm could be one and done. He gets past that at two and one. He could survive a little bit longer, and then we'll see how things play out. Um, but I've got him going six and six in, this year. I'd fire him at the end of the year if that's the case. We'll right. see if Arizona State feels the same way. We'll find out. It's just it, like you mentioned at the very top of the podcast. Arizona State is just about as intriguing a team as you're going to find in the Pac-12. Yes, very, but, very, very much so. Yeah, but Spencer, thank you so much for coming on, giving us so much of your time, so much detailed analysis. You guys got to make sure you're checking out the Locked On Pac-12 podcast as well and staying in touch with everything going on in the Conference of Champions. My friend, where can people find the rest of your content if they want to search you up? Well, at Smalls underscore 55 is my personal Twitter handle. I post all my shows on there at LO underscore Pac-12 is the Conference of Champions show. I also host Locked on Ducks at Locked on Ducks on Twitter. Both shows available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts every day in the season starting. So plenty of content coming your way. And Richie, it's great to be on with you as always, my man. Absolutely. And I stop by Locked on Pac-12 all the time. So yes, even he does. More, yes, he does. Even more re- reason to check it out. But that's going to do it for us here on the Locked on Sun Devils podcast. So until next time, guys, you keep it locked right here on Locked on Sun Devils.